Charles Walton was found murdered on the evening of Valentine's Day, 1945, at the Furs Farm on the slopes of Meelan Hill, Lower Quitton, in Warwickshire, England. His throat had been slashed with his own slash hook, and he had been pinned to the ground by throat by a pitchfork. Soon, rumors of witchcraft, blood sacrifices, and symbols carved into the body began to spread through the neighborhood, rumors so strong that soon some believed that the murderer may in fact be the neighborhood itself. I don't feel like I should do a dun-dun-dun. <laughs> Y'all listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here's your hosts, Christy and Scott. Christy, how's your week been? It's been chaotic. It's been a lot to deal with. But, um, like, even today, it just was nonstop, like, um, class after class, and both of my classes were, were really intense and a lot of, a lot of work. And, um, See, and everybody listening should realize she's not on the student end of the classes. Yeah, yeah I'm the teacher. <laughs> I'm the one doing the work while they're sitting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully learning is work and they're doing that work. But, but yeah, yeah, it was a lot. Um, these are this, this particular set of classes is really intense because I'm like teaching them about how to do their, their final project for the class. So it's, you know, a lot because it's a big project and it's very different. It's not your standard research paper, which is what they're used to. So I have to like yank their brains right out of research paper mode, which is tough because they've been in that mode for a long period of time of their schooling. So there was that. And then a dinner tonight for the company my husband works for and um, his, his company got small business of the year. And the, then the boss's wife won the 50-50. So, and then the table next to us, they won a signed Matt Murray jersey. So like, the guy right behind me. So it was like luck all around us, but not on us. You're in the, <laughs> the eye of the luck storm. Yes, exactly. Yes. There was a hurricane of money and jerseys around us. And we were just sitting there in the calm. <laughs> oh, no, I don't want to be. Yeah, and we were one number off from the 50-50. So that was a little heartbreaking. But, you know, it is what it is. I, I never win things like that. Um, I win the first, I, 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 anytime I go to a slot machine, I say, okay, after 20 bucks, I'm out. You know, no matter where I stand, whether I'm up or I'm down, and I'm always up after that 20 bucks, and I always walk away. So that's where my luck is, is random slot machines. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't even have that. I don't even have that. It was, it was kind of a rough week for me, too. Right after, well, I'm sure our listeners are going to hear the difference in my voice from episode one to episode two. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just starting to get sick. So the entire week I spent sick up until about a day and a half ago. And sore throat and plugged nose and it was just horrible. And I work at a call center. <laughs> so essentially I get yelled at for a living mm-hmm. is, is what I do. And uh, it was just, it was, it was a week from hell. It was an absolute week from hell. And the, I think the only thing that I took from this, the only thing that I learned is what a slash hook is. <laughs> That's it. That's the only thing I've learned this week. Everything else has been a total failure. We did learn about old-timey farming implements. Yes. We did. Mm-hmm. We did. Um, other than that, really... Nothing. I kind of got a bug up my butt the other day and decided I wanted the new Transformers. <laughs> so I drove around and none of the Walmarts in the area had them. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. It was. <laughs> I uh, I ended up at a Walmart in Evansburg at three a.m. 
And Evansburg is, is just about 20, mi- 20 miles away from me. This is the depths of your obsession. Yeah, this is it. 3 a.m. I'm in a Walmart in Evansburg. I've got a transformer that I didn't really want in the shopping cart just so I can say I brought something back. <laughs> and there's like a pizza and some stuffed shells and a two liter of Diet Mountain Dew. And I'm going through this and I'm bleary-eyed and I'm hopped up on cold medication. And all of a sudden... I am not lying about this. Disco Duck starts playing <laughs> over the loudspeaker. Oh my god. <laughs> Nothing says I've made a mistake like being in a Walmart <laughs> at 3 a.m. when Disco Duck starts playing over the, the loudspeaker. It's just, I really had to reevaluate my life. <laughs> and I, I think I'm on the wrong track. So. Well, I can tell you, as a counterpoint to that, nothing says this has been epic like being at Sheets at 3 a.m., and thank you for being a friend comes on and everybody's singing along. So that's what you need to aspire to. That's when you know that in your real life it's reached its pinnacle. It's when you're in, in there with a whole bunch of drunks and sheets and everybody's singing along oh, to, to the Golden Girls theme song. See, nobody, I don't think anybody on the other side of the Mississippi is going to know what a sheets is. No, they're not. It's a, it's yeah. a gas station that has... Uh, Food that you get via touchscreens, and they were like, I think the first to do the touchscreens. I, I think. think so. I think so. It is, it is kind of like the pinnacle. It is the fine dining of gas station food. Although the people on the eastern side of the state are now turning this off. Yes, yeah, true. <laughs> because true. there's the whole sheets Wawa battle of the of the state, you know, between like the Pittsburgh side and the Philly side. And so, yeah, um, we're that's, that's a strange hill to die on. Is a convenience store. I look, I, I I concede. I concede to our Philadelphia friends, Wawa's may in fact be better, but we just don't have them around here. Yeah. Yeah. I will say their coffee is way too hot because like the last time we stopped at a Wawa and I got coffee, it was like twenty miles later that I could finally drink it. I had like been done with my breakfast for fifteen minutes and I'm like, now See, can I drink my coffee? You gotta spill it on yourself and get that sweet, sweet McDonald's Sue cash. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which honestly this is the depth of my obsession with with researching. Whenever you research the whole the woman that spilled McDonald's hot coffee on her lap, she deserved every penny. Yeah, it's a whole different story than the the, the thing they got made fun of on late night talk shows. Right. and became like the butt of jokes. No, she she got severely injured, and they she, should not have had the coffee that hot. Yeah, There's no reason for it. She went to a restaurant to buy food, mm-hmm. and was handed something that was dangerous to consume. Yeah. There it is. Dangerous to even touch her skin. Yeah. Yeah. So she was handed a product that would eventually become food, yeah. <laughs> but was not food yet. Yeah. Yeah. And let's face it, if you're, if the coffee is that hot, you're just burning the hell out of it. It's yeah. not even going to be, I mean, that that's completely obliterating its quality. So I know like McDonald's isn't necessarily like, oh, quality is our middle name, but at least don't make it, you know, so you're drinking charred coffee beans. Right. And honestly, McDonald's has been a little bit better. Yeah. Since the lawsuit, I can drink the coffee right away. Mm-hmm. The apple pies are no longer hot enough to weld steel. Yeah. Oh, God, those apple pies. Yeah. <laughs> God, those apple pies. I used to have, um, when I was in high school, I had a, like a bunch of my brother's friends worked at McDonald's, mm-hmm. and I had the same order every time. Every time I went to McDonald's, and I went a lot when I was in high school, um, was it? number one with a Sprite. And it got to the point where, you know, I would speak through the, the loudspeaker in the back and in the front, they would already know it was me. Just, like, <laughs> one Christie. Yes. One Christie coming up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my heavens. This was, 
This was a sad one to research. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, the not that not that anything that we're going to be re- researching here is going to make us happy. No, they're really. I mean, it's murder. Yeah, it's, it's murder, murder. And, and crime. I think we might hit on we might hit on you know more of the less murdery aspects of, of crime sometimes. Right. You know, like I'm sure that we can find some things where people don't get slashed to death. I hopefully right. <laughs> just interesting old time crimes. I, I came across a great quote. And this isn't mine. I wish it was. Uh, murder is like a loud thunderstorm. It's great whenever you're curled up on your couch, safe in your home, and it's happening to somebody else. But whenever you're in it, it's hell. Yeah. 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 That sounds so, about right. Because it's you hear about these awful murders, and then you get to that point where... You know, if you if you have a, a little bit of an active imagination, you start imagining being that person, and it's it that that's the most brutal part, aside from being the actual murder victim or their family, mm-hmm. um, is is imagining it because you go to that place where it's very vivid in your head, and you can see and imagine not only like the blood, but what they must feel and the shock and the horror. And, oh, I'm bumming myself out. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's we we kind of nobody's making us do this. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We aren't even really getting paid for this yeah. yet. If you'd like to advertise, get in touch with us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Charles Walton. He was he was an interesting cat. Born May twelfth, eighteen seventy. He was seventy four, seventy five years old. Uh, he lived in the Lower Quinton all of his life in England. He was a widower. Just shared a nice little small cottage with his thirty three year old niece, who he took in. Yeah, after her mother died. Yeah, and not her father. Her yeah. father just wanted nothing to do with her. Her father lived. Um, I wrote yeah, six miles away. Her father yeah. lived six miles away. And just wanted nothing to do yeah. with her. And he took her in when she was, I think, three years old. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, this is this is somebody who, by by all reports, kind of kept to himself, was, but was not a nasty man. Yeah, they said he had some eccentricities, but he was just, nobody had any, like, really bad words to say about right, it, you know? Right, right. And I think we all have eccentricities. I was in a Walmart at 3 a.m. <laughs> buying toys meant for an eight-year-old. So, I mean, who am I? Who am I to say, oh, this guy was a weirdo? I mean, I get a thrill out of people singing along to an old sitcom theme song in a gas station in the middle of the night, so... <laughs> no, I think that's glorious, but maybe that says something about us. It's just one of those shared moments of humanity, you Yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. He was... And who knows, this may have been his undoing. He was really good with animals. Yeah, yeah. He had been, um, uh, you know, pretty known for horse training in his youth, I think. Yeah. And then they said that he could make birds come and, like, flock to his hand and eat seeds right out of his hand. Like, straight up Disney princess. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have seen that happen once, personally. There was an Amishman uh, who went by the name Zook. And he was able to get birds to come to him. Hmm. And I asked him how he did it. And I'm kind of wondering if it didn't come from this. Whenever I was researching this, I thought, man, that sounds an awful lot like the trick Zook used to do. And what Zook would do is he would take the birds out of the nest whenever they were newborn. Each give them one kernel of corn a day. 
essentially he was kidnapping these birds. Okay, actually, less all. Yeah, less all. <laughs> I didn't realize he's taking them all together. Like he's not returning them. He's not returning which them, which I guess you can't do anyhow. Maybe I don't know, but I, I don't know about that. I, it seems I, like it's like a rural legend. Yeah, don't touch <laughs> damn eggs. The mama won't come back. But Zook would feed them like one kernel of corn a day. Just put it right in their beaks, and eventually he would let them loose. They would go fly out on their own, but they'd come right back to him, sit in his shoulder, oh, wow. hold out his hand. They come out and sit in his hand, and I've, I mean, I've seen the same thing in the city. Whenever I lived in Minneapolis, uh, the squirrels would come up to you, and you know, you even have it's it's a trope now. The little old lady feeding the pigeons on a park bench. So I guess it's not out of the ordinary to say, you know, hey, this guy could make birds eat out of his hand. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this isn't a little old lady. This is a grizzled 74-year-old man Yeah, who's using some incredible farming tools. For his age, yeah. yeah or, no, or just for anybody's age. Yeah. I couldn't use that shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I grew up in the country. I don't... I'd never heard of a slash hook before in my life. Same. And when I looked at the pictures, um, like they showed the the pitchfork... That was used, and I was like, oh, I, I pictured, like, the pitchfork with, like, four tines. No, this thing just had two tines. Yeah. Like, it's just basically a U-shape. Right. It's so strange. Right. And that was, that will come into play later on, mm-hmm. that whole U-shape. Um, but, yeah, he was pretty much a nice guy. He was just a sweetheart of a guy who kept to himself. Yeah, they also said um, on the animal track that some people said that he could tame wild or rabid dogs with just by using his voice. Just, I mean, you know these rumors. We're going we're gonna to be delving into a lot of yeah. rumors on this one. I think that's going to be probably an ongoing theme since it is, you know, before things were recorded as well as they are now and distributed, you know, through technology. But, but yeah, it was rumored, but, it, you know, it was said, and it was a small town where, you know, people tend to know, mm-hmm. you know, a lot about each other. I mean, Caesar Milan does it to this day. Yeah. You know, it would be, it would be the same thing Caesar Milan does... You know, how many times have you seen him walk into a situation and just go, hey, Poppy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't tell because this is a radio. But I just did this little hand motion. Hey, Poppy. And then just sits down and it's like. He's subduing the invisible dog. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Don't, don't move. <laughs> and it's just, it's incredible to watch him work. So much so that you start to think. Uh, this is some bullshit going on here. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched the dog whisper and went, uh, they're doing some editing. They're going, <laughs> Those dogs are medicated. They're, yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're like, all on Xanax. There's a little cameraman just off to the side with a tranquilizer dog. <clears throat> <Yeah>. <laughs> just enough to make the dog <laughs> compliant. Yeah, so, I mean, you look at all these things together and it, it just seems to speak of somebody who was probably very gentle. Yeah. Um, and maybe like the the wildlife recognized that, or he had some weird tricks and just carried around, you know, like corn and beef in his pockets. <laughs> Who the hell knows? Mm, tasty. <laughs> so, but everybody seemed to like him, and uh, he was a pretty hard worker. He was, you know, he had rheumatism. He was seventy four years old, and he still was using farming implements. And he was, you know, cutting down hedgerows, um, you know, on on his the the, the farm that he worked for. Still going out there and working for for hours a day on on good weather days. Yeah, which is so impressive. Absolutely impressive. It was, and I don't know if you've ever cut hedges with like hedge trimmers with an yeah. electric hedge trimmer. 
it's it's a chore. Mm-hmm. This dude had a pitchfork. Yeah. And essentially a big knife on a stick. Yeah, yeah. That's it. With a little curvy bit at the end. A little curvy <laughs> bit. Kind of looked like a uh, kind of looked like a cowboy boot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. I mean, he was he was an impressive, you know, dude, and he was hardworking and nice, you know, to his family and you know, kind and gentle. It seems like he definitely, you know. He didn't deserve what came next. No. So uh, so he worked for... Um, oh, and he even needed to use a walking stick. Yeah. Which also comes into play. But um, but yeah, and, and he still managed to do all these things that we today would just... We would look at that chore and be like, eh, somebody must have the number of a guy who can do this for yeah. me, right? Isn't there some sort of Roomba that can take care <laughs> yeah. of this? Robots. Where are all the robots that are supposed to be trimming my hedges? Yeah. So, so yeah, he worked for Alfred Potter, who was a local um, farmer or son of a farmer, um, at the Furs, was the name of the, the farm. Still there to this day. I did some Google Maps looking around. And it's not necessarily a farm. It's now like a housing development. Like It's one of those developments where all the houses look, like they're little houses and they all look exactly alike. You so, did the Google Maps things too? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Dude's yeah, Dude's house is still there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, they, I think they said it's now, they, they tore down the original or, or they made It's two, like a like, triplex. It's like yeah, one yeah, big house. Yeah, they house. made it bigger. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, still there. Yeah, gotta love. The College Arms, the pub um, that's mentioned that Alfred Potter was at that morning, still there. You, you, can't, you don't have that in America. You know, no. like you're, you're amazed if a place lasts five years. <laughs> Ten years old, tear it down. Yeah. What's, what's this bullshit? So, so yeah, um, he was working at the Furs. He would do, you know, just uh, some work whenever the weather was nice, because I'm sure with that rheumatism that, you know, working in the rain wasn't really his thing. And it must have been chilly that day, because it was, you know, February in England. And, yeah, he was, he left his home um, on Valentine's Day, 1945, with his pitchfork and slash hook, as we've mentioned, and was seen passing through the churchyard, which was right across from his house, between 9 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. And he went to go slash some hedges at Hillground, a, a, a field um, on the first. And uh, somewhere along that line, somebody else came and seen him. Uh, the murderer, whoever the murderer was, be it one person, many people. Like That was something that I was kind of surprised. The more than one person angle didn't really come into play a lot in, in any of the theories that I heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the murderer had beaten Walton with over the head with his own stick. This was... This felt like something that wasn't planned. Because we're not talking about 150 years ago. We're not talking two, 300, 400 years ago. Guns were all over the place. We had just... In fact, I think we were still in World War II at this time. I think we were a couple of weeks away. I think... I'm going to guess at this, but I think it was a couple of months away. I feel like D-Day was more around May-ish. Yeah. Um, I know that the Allies were winning battle after battle after battle. Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of went, uh, it's a done deal. We're going to win. Everybody knew it was on the, on the, down, on the downswing. The murderer beat Walton over the head with his own stick. Then, a lot of people say they cut his neck open with the slash hook and then pinned him to the ground with his own pitchfork. For some reason, I don't see that working that way. Mm-hmm. I could see him being pinned with the pitchfork first. And the pitchfork was wedged under a cross member of the hedge. Mm-hmm. And then 
and that's the way I think it went down because it makes more sense to pin the person down and then try to behead him with the slash hook. Yeah, immobilize and make this man who's quite strong and right. seems pretty spry for, not even for his age, just for a human being. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, immobilize him first and then, yeah, and then do the do the damage, which is pretty, pretty gruesome and brutal. Yeah, he, um, yeah, pinned him to the ground and the slash hook had been buried in his neck. Buried in his neck it's and pretty, part of the ground, too. The yeah. guy went through the neck, into the ground. This felt like the guy was trying to decapitate. Yeah, it did feel that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt like... And, and that's that's a pretty strong motive. There's got to be a strong motive or just, you know, just complete loss of mental faculties, whichever it is, behind doing something like that. It, it, or... You know, just another your your average sociopath. I don't know, but too many possibilities cropping up here. Hmm, this seems to be a theme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, there were certainly not. They weren't lacking for suspects. Yeah, yeah. Oddly enough, like for such a nice guy, they were not lacking in suspects. Mm-hmm. It's um. Well, oh, we should mention the crucifix or. Such or, as it may have been, yeah, because that's another area that's uncertain. The the uh, a local paper reported, and a lot of the witnesses said that there was a crucifix carved on his chest, but the coroner's actual report made no mention of it. So, whether that was you know something kept out of the public eye so as not to inflame you know like hysteria, excuse me, hysteria, or look me just burping on podcasts. No, like that's okay. Fancy lady, I am. Let it rip. <laughs> um, or uh, whether it was you know they just decide or if it didn't happen you know if people were were worked up about it because naturally they would be it's a small town this has been a brutal murder and one of the people to find the body was his own niece i've i've kind of witnessed the small town murder thing myself um i cannot remember the woman's name i wish i could remember this woman's name um there was a murder in my town uh i guess i was about eight or ten people still talk about it they caught the guy four days after they found they found uh the body the uh the body was found and it probably would have never been found except he let the feet hang out of a bush oh right so these guys are driving along uh on mount davis pennsylvania Mm -hmm. they see these feet sticking out of a bush they think somebody's thrown away a mannequin Right? So they're laughing. They're going to go get this mannequin. And they find this young lady who has had just her face hacked off. Um, stabbed several times with a screwdriver. Ooh. And then what actually killed her, they, they believe she probably would have survived all of it. But the murderer had jumped on her and ruptured her liver. And that's what killed her. You can't see, listeners, but my eyebrows just like crawled yeah. right up to my hairline. Yeah. <laughs> they catch the guy four days later. He had worked at a cabinet shop in the town next to where I lived. The town I grew up in is called Salisbury. The town right next to it is cleverly named West Salisbury. <laughs> Creativity. So, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, it's the kind of thing that you get whenever you're close to Virginia and West Virginia. Um there was still blood in the back of his car. He never cleaned out his car. Wow. Open and shut case. Yeah. Right? 
to this day, there are still people that believe he was framed. To this day. Wow. Absolutely. Still believe that this gentleman was framed. See, I have, um, I, I've seen the, the power of rumor in regarding a murder in my own hometown, actually, mm-hmm. too. Uh, when I was in high school, the man hadn't committed the murder in our town, but he was um, brought to our town. We had a state hospital. Um, and growing up in a town with a state hospital, you know the sound of the siren. Very it's distinctive, and you know it. And when it goes off, you lock all the doors and windows. <laughs> so, and there on the door handle was a hook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and this guy, he had killed a young girl in a neighboring, a nearby town. And all the stories that were going around by people, like he had chopped her to bits and buried her in his backyard. And this was, you know, this was years ago when I was in high school. So this was what I believed for years and years. Until finally, just this past year, I was like, oh, and by the way, he escaped, which is why this was, <laughs> was kind of, of important. Of he escaped from the state hospital. And uh, my, my hometown is surrounded by a state park, you know, just acres upon acres upon hundreds of acres of places to hide or in it was the middle of winter possibly die of exposure mm-hmm. we'll never know because they never found him so but i finally looked it up to find the truth of it there was no cutting up it was um uh he he argued in court that it was uh like he was having a war flashback because he had been in vietnam and he he just killed the girl on the street and then he took off for mexico um so that was his his defense and then he ended up um you must have ended up getting off with a plea of like criminal insanity or something like that to end up in the state hospital. That very rarely works. Yeah, very rarely, yeah. All the rumors going around about cutting up a little girl or little girls, you know, so the little girls would just multiply mm. <laughs> from telling to telling. You know how it goes. It's that game of telephone. But yeah, I've seen the power of rumor at work, so I'm very familiar with this, you know, this small town. Everything gets muddled. You don't know the truth. And, and I didn't know the truth until many years later when I looked it up and I actually found a newspaper article that described it. And I was like, there's the power of the internet. Yeah. I couldn't have possibly found that back then. I'm aging myself. <laughs> Believe me, I understand the whole aging thing. It's, I'm quite a few years older than you. so. But yeah, I, I really doubt the crucifix was there. I doubt it too, and it's, especially because it feels very much like it was a crime. I, I don't know if I want to say crime of passion, but definitely a crime of... Did you just crimes of like anger and rage count as passion? I, I mean, it is sort of a passion thing. There yeah. wasn't any love there, that's for certain. Because it's using like what's right there at hand. It, it, like you said, it wasn't. Doesn't seem like it was planned. It right. Seems like it was very in the moment because it's like, okay, what do I have here that I can use? Thinks the murderer, and then uses walking stick slash hook, and pitchfork, and yeah, just absolutely feels very um, spur of the moment. You know. Absolutely. And have you ever tried to cut through a shirt? That's t- it's hard. Yeah. yeah. Even with like scissors, like just cutting fabric. Right. You know, even right. with good scissors. So to get somebody to carve a crucifix mm-hmm. in through the shirt and on the murder photos, and you can find the murder photos. Yes, you can. He's dressed. Well, his shirt had been opened. Um, so that, you know, like makes the crucifix a little, but still you're cutting into skin. Yeah. I don't I don't know. Um, and his trousers had been unfastened at the top and his fly was unbuttoned, which is weird as hell. I have a little bit of a theory about that. Okay. The reason that the killer was able to grab the walking stick, because you think about this, the walking stick, you know, even as he's going along, he's using that walking stick during his work. Mm -hmm. The reason why... What I believe the killer did was he caught this guy in the middle of taking a piss. 
Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. That explains it so well. Yeah. yeah. Sticks yeah. just sitting there. You know, he's got his trousers unbuttoned. And it's 1945. He's a dude. He's 75. The, yeah, he's 75. He's in the in, in the middle of, you know, the, the hedges. He's not going to go run find the nearest gas station. You know? No. He's <laughs> going to unbutton his trousers and take a piss. And that's whenever we're the most vulnerable. We talked about it last week. Mm-hmm. That's why your dog stares at you whenever he's taking a poop. Mm-hmm. Because he's looking to you for safety. And I, I, I'm going to look this up. I'm kind of wondering if the piss shiver... Isn't a fear response. Oh. Because we all shiver when we piss. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, a, Absolutely. there's a little shiver. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody uh, knows it. And I wonder if that isn't the fear response. Because hmm. that little shiver is very similar to the feeling you get whenever there's fingernails across the chalkboard. Ah, yes. He just gave it to me. I just thought of it. Yeah. It. <laughs> because that fingernails against a chalkboard is the same frequency that some monkeys that we are very closely related to uses their distress call that's why it kicks in in us it is this primal thing we don't realize it but we're being told there's danger nearby i also hate the sound of a fork scraping on a plate knife through cardboard Like that little squeak that every once in a while you get. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Welcome to our new podcast, Sounds You Hate. Yes. (laughs) Teeth against forks. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to our new podcast. Let's get uncomfortable. Yes. Oh, no. So, so yeah. um, Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I had not even thought of that. I love it. Um, I hate it because it's, it's sad and, you know, this man should have been allowed certainly more dignity, less pain in his final moments. But as far as the theory goes, like, I, I, I don't know why, but when I saw that, I just could not put, but you're a guy, you know, yeah. you've, you've done this a ton of times. Every time we have a, you know, a party like a, in, in, by the fire, Absolutely. you know, every time one of you guys has to, has to pee, you just I, get up and walk to the woods. And meanwhile, us, us ladies are trouncing yeah. up to the house. I go on into the house. The tree's right over there. Yeah. So don't look or do. I don't care. <laughs> He really doesn't, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, um, it was pretty, pretty brutal. Um, and yeah, his his daughter. Oh, I keep on wasting daughter for her. Um, Edith was his his niece's name. Might as well have been his daughter. Might as well have been his daughter. Yeah, he pretty much had to have raised her yeah. for the most part. He and his wife, who um, she she had died, I believe, in nineteen twenty seven. So about eighteen years before. Um, yeah, when she came home at 6 p.m., he was normally home at 4. When he wasn't home, she started to, to worry and set off immediately. It wasn't like you sometimes hear, like, people wait, you know? They're like, oh, well, maybe they're doing this or maybe they're doing that. No, he was the kind of guy who had a routine. He stuck to it. He wasn't going to run off to the pub and have a pint. He wasn't going to stop and socialize with people. He was home at 4 p.m. You, you know, we know people who's, who stick to routine. Um, and they're, they're very set on it. And it seems like he was that kind, um, which being the introverted type that he seemed to be makes a lot of sense. You know, he, he, he would just want to go home. So yeah, he wasn't home. So she grabbed their neighbor, Harry Beasley, and they, uh, they went to alert Alfred Potter at the first. This uh, sounds like something J.K. Rowling yes, it does. would write. Well, it's Potter. <laughs> yeah, Potter, Beasley, Weasley. Yes. Oh my gosh. Did she get all of her inspiration from this? It feels like it. There's, 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 you know, mention of witchcraft yeah. and rumors. You know, hmm, wow. I wonder how many more similarities we can find. Let's find <laughs> let's, out. Let's We're see. starting early on this. Yeah. So. so yeah, and they found his body. Potter had said that he had seen 
Charles earlier that day, slashing hedges. He was on his way from, so supposedly he was on his way from the, the College Arms pub to um, his house or the field. The story kept on changing, but we'll get to that. But yeah, he had seen him, and as far as anybody knows, was the last person to have seen him. Nobody else, I don't believe, came forward. He basically said that he saw him, he didn't talk to him. He saw Walton um, and just had to go straight away because he had to deal supposedly with a heifer that had gotten stuck in a ditch, uh, which also we'll get to. Um, and he, his description of Walton was interesting. I want to talk about this. Describe him as an inoffensive type of man, but one who would speak his mind if necessary. What is that? Here's what I picture. Here's what I picture for that. I pictured him just like trimming the hedges and it was just like, how you doing there, mm. Jephthah? <laughs> oh, bringing I'm Jephthah doing, back. I'm doing fine. How are you there, Harry? Mm, doing well. Cock you fucking that chicken the other day. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I see a quiet, inoffensive man who would speak his mind would if speak necessary. his mind if necessary that is that is a necessary time to speak your mind yes okay what are we going to do about that chicken <laughs> you should probably <laughs> stay away from that chicken <laughs> <laughs> but if it fit up there why can't i we're going oh, to probably edit that out <laughs> or not i don't know we'll see yeah, yeah time will tell exactly <laughs> time and uh, our whims and fancies yeah absolutely <laughs> So, yeah, he found, they found the body, um, and Potter said that Walton had about six to ten yards of hedge to cut, uh, so that would have been, when the body was found, um, there were four additional yards of hedge cut, which would have been about half an hour's work. He's cutting four hedges, four yards of hedge in a half an hour, this guy. What a, what, he, he's in beast mode. Yeah, that's 12 feet of hedge. Once again... Not with any electrical power tools, nothing gasoline powered. This is a slash hook and a pitchfork. Mm -hmm. An old slash hook and an old, old pitchfork. Pitch yeah. <clears throat> Although, as once again, I'm somebody that grew up in the country. Whenever I was about 10, I could probably cut a lawn faster with a hand scythe than I could, than I could with a lawn mower. Mm -hmm. I would feel it. I would feel it more. But you get like that wider cut. So... I don't know, 75, rheumatism. Yeah, that's still, that's still a good clip. It's mm -hmm. still a good clip. I haven't really seen the hedges. The only shots I've been able to find of that scene are either modern shots mm -hmm. or shots with the body. And as it should be, the focus is very much on the body. Yeah, if there's a body there, you're not taking pictures of hedges. Right, right. Maybe we should have. Actually, it was a thing. Scotland Yard brought in airplanes to fly over the the scene trying to look for clues. Oh, wow. That, uh, flying at just like a hundred feet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess, I guess maybe they did. They're, they're, I would love to get my hands on some of those those air, aerial photos of the scene. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great, but I could not find any of them. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, um, that happened. He didn't, and, uh, Potter's behavior at the scene. Um, did you do, read, read some about this? He was acting a little odd. Yeah. How is... Here's the thing. Potter does seem rather guilty in all this. Yeah? The stories change. Mm-hmm. At the oh, same yeah. time, 
I've never really stood over a man that's been nearly decapitated. But their issue, I think the police's issue was, yes, you're standing over a man who's been nearly decapitated, but also this is a man who's used to slaughtering farm animals, you know, on on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. He's used to blood, he's used to guts, he's used to gore. It's different when it's a human, yes, absolutely, but it shouldn't have been, he, he was just acting very strange and complaining about the cold and, you know, wanting to, wanting to go home and then returned at first light because they had somebody, like, even after they took the body away, they had somebody guarding the murder scene to, to keep its integrity, which even some modern police don't manage to, to do. So con- congrats to the, uh, no, you, the lower Quentin police force. <laughs> you, you do not mess with the English police. Yeah. They don't have guns, so they have to rely on skill. Yes. So... So yeah, he came back and, and, you know, once again mentioned the cold. He was really obsessed with that small talk. It doesn't seem like mm-hmm. he was able to, to find anything else to talk about, like, oh, the dead guy. Um, but, and then, you know, offered the, the officer a cigarette and then left. And, which was a strange behavior, I think, to, to, to complain about the cold, leave, come back, complain about the cold, leave. <laughs> you could also chalk it up, though. And I am playing devil's advocate because mm-hmm. honestly, somebody's got it. Because yeah. I'm definitely, I think you can probably hear exactly what angle I feel and is I, the correct one. And here's the thing: I agree with you, but at the same time, there is morbid fascination. Oh yeah, absolutely, there is. Yeah, yeah. especially when it's when it's somebody you know. Um, I mean, morbid fascination, or trying to understand Mm -hmm. you know if it's somebody you know even if you know whether you like them didn't like them just trying to understand tragedy and a brutal one at that that strikes so close to home literally on his own property i i can understand but there's also the criminal always returns to the scene of the crime (laughs) he was which if he was the murderer he literally did exactly what they always do you know, I think some some of them it's you know did I did I clean everything up am I am I good some of them I think it's you know reveling in that moment again that there's that magnetism if they if they enjoyed it I think it depends on the killer if they're the nervous type or yeah. if they're the the type who really liked doing it which I'll, I'll take the nervous type any day of the week yeah yeah I I would be out there going like well yeah, I'm gonna look for clues that I may have left again <laughs> oh there's a hair you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he Potter Potter does not look very clean here. Um, he uh, and then so they did they did call Scot- Scotland Yard in for this, as you said, which is pretty pretty big. And I have their their message here that they sent to Scot- Scotland Yard uh, from the the deputy constable of Lower Quinton. Uh, the chief chief constable has asked me to get the assistance of Scotland Yard to assist in a brutal case of murder that took place yesterday. The deceased man is a man named Charles Walton, age 75, and he was killed with an instrument known as a slash hook. The murder was either committed by a madman or one of the Italian prisoners who are in a camp nearby. Uh, they request the assistance of an Italian interpreter, and uh, Dr. Webster states deceased was killed between 1 and 2 p.m. yesterday. A metal watch is missing from the body. Blame the Italians. Yeah, exactly. They go straight to blaming the, the Italian POWs, who were actually allowed quite a bit of freedom for POWs. My they, goodness. They were, they were allowed, they were actually in town seeing a movie. Yeah, and, yeah. and going to a play. Going, <laughs> they were, they saw, it was a Shakespeare play. Oh, there you go. And well, actually, it was, it was um, Stratford, wasn't it? They, I don't think they were in Lower Quinton's, clo- Quinton's close to Stratford. Yes, Stratford-upon-Avon. Yeah, so. Birthplace place I mean, of Shakespeare. If you're going to see Shakespeare in, in you know, you're going to, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, I, I, and everybody, everybody seemed to like the Italians. Yeah. They, they were great. They, they came in, 
They, uh, they were allowed to work odd jobs around the town. There was even a few, I don't know if it was these POWs, but it was not uncommon to allow the POW's wife to move into the camp oh my. with the POW, the Italian POW, and it just to live with him. Yeah. Just to live with him. It was a very common thing. It happened quite often. Then they started getting German POWs, and the German POWs, sorry to any of our German listeners, German POWs were not the same as the Italian POWs. Because yeah. let's face it, Italy changed sides in the war about three times. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, who are we fighting for this? I don't care. Let's, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these guys got themselves captured just to sit out the war. Yeah. It was just the bad luck of having been born in this country and and being thrown around. No, the the Italian POWs pretty pretty cushy. Pretty pretty cushy job. I yeah. that's what I want to be. I want to be an Italian POW exactly. when I grow up. <laughs> it's good to have goals. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. they had they had like a loose schedule of work days and off days. They got days off. A lot of POWs did not get that. I don't get days off. I mean, they don't call it a work camp because you get a day off. Right. And yeah, and they got days off and, and they weren't really tracked. Like like you said, like they were they were off. Let's go see a movie, you know? So, so yeah, but they did, like there was some trying to, to scapegoat of, of them, which uh, I feel like Potter was part of. I feel like he was he was trying to throw things in that direction, but I could I could be wrong, but it seems like he was sort of um, intimating that that he he, he if, if he were investigating, that's who he would he would mm-hmm. point the finger at. So they did start uh, interviewing the uh, Italian prisoners, and that came in. That played an interesting part. The the Italian prisoners in in. Potter's reactions and because they had um, one of the constables they had him hanging out with Potter and his wife basically like hey keep an eye on them you know see see if anything anything weird's going on there because he was already kind of an acquaintance or friend of them so he goes over there and he lets you know this is where we start getting into Potter's inconsistent stories so yeah they have uh the the constable over there uh constable Lomasny and he said, you know, hey, Alfred, the, the cops are going to try to get prints off of the murder weapons if they can. And Potter's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I forgot to tell you. I touched one or two, maybe both of them. I, mm, I don't know. And he insisted that he had already told the police when he'd been interviewed when they, that had not been recorded at all, which was an interesting. And then was also insisting at that time, you know, he, he said, you know, it's absolutely an Italian POW. And his wife, who was there went during this conversation, was, was actually pissed. She outright said, you know, Alfred, if they found your prints, they'll suspect you. <laughs> Which. Duh. Yeah. They already do, in case you didn't notice. From the crime, the crime journal. Duh. Gee, I wonder why this constable is hanging around at our house so soon yeah. after this murder that took place on my property of a man who was in my employ and whom I was one of the people who found the body, and I was also the last person to see him. I, I, it's because I've got such a shining personality. Better offer him a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> right? And let's talk about the weather. It's pretty cold yeah. now, isn't it? Actually, it is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's England. Yeah. It's cold is the best you're going to get. Yeah. Oh, that was contradicted. About the touching of the weapons? Beasley. 
Edith Snaver, who was there. He said no. He said he because Walt, or Potter tried to drag Beasley into this. He said, oh, Beasley said I should, you know, touch him and make sure that he's still dead, which why would you touch the murder instruments? I mean, I know he's, he's you know, like a farmer in 1945, but surely you know that a pulse is, it, you know, what? Well, I suppose. Let's like, jostle the murder instruments. That'll do some good. The blades, the blade is in the neck. Touch that handle. Let's see if we can feel the pulse vibrate oh, through the God. blade oh, that's into horrifying. the handle. Wiggle it around a lot. That is absolutely. Oh, I'm. I have no neck now. <laughs> it's just my chin straight to my chest. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Her Christie's neck just it shot in like a turtle. It was incredible. <laughs> oh, oh, that's horrifying. So yeah, it's but it's very strange. It's a very strange, you know, like it's just constant contradictions, one after the other after the other. And they didn't find any prints anyhow. So it was it was kind of moot, except that you did get his reactions out of it, and you did get that contradiction in his his, his story versus Beasley's story. So the fingerprint thing happened, and then soon after that, a soldier comes, gives Potter some news, and then. Potter tells Lamasney, the, the policeman who was hanging out at his house just because he had such a shining, sparkling personality, um, the news was that the police had a person of interest at the POW camp. According to Lamasney, Potter affected great glee and his wife became almost hysterical with delight. If that isn't the reaction of innocent people, I don't know what is. Well, they're just happy to, you know, see that justice is served. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> the devil's advocate on that one you can't you can't get much like that's as, that, that's as high as you're gonna get exactly <laughs> i'm can't. sorry there's nothing else i can say yeah dude's guilty yeah, <laughs> like i don't even know end of podcast night everyone <laughs> bye <laughs> might as well bullshit our way through the rest of this yeah. i mean it's it's obvious potter did it it's <sighs> jesus man Make yourself look a little more guilty. Oh, how about this? Since you asked. <laughs> um, Pot- Potter always, he had told multiple people, he had implied that he paid Walton more for more hours than Walton actually worked. You know, generous, kind soul that he was. Well, he worked basically, Wal- or Potter worked for his father's company. It was his father that owned the farms, and he basically kind of seemed to be the manager. And... They checked the books of the farming company, and lo and behold, it was, of course, the opposite. Um, He claimed more from the company than he was paying Walton, and then pocketed the rest. So we're we're already not dealing with an honest fellow here. And it's just just one after the other after the other. Um, I have one more. This one's kind of... A lesser one. Just one? Yeah. Oh, I probably have some more. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see what else you got. Um, They found two marks on the front of Potter's trousers that he wore the night of the murder. Um, Scotland Yard believed they were bloodstains, but the pants had been cleaned too thoroughly for a positive analysis. Well, you know, when you get home, you do tend to, like, just, like, bleach the fuck out of your pants immediately, right? You know? I do have that fungal infection. (laughs) I am usually bleaching everything. I just... Soaking a big tub of bleach at the end of the night with a <laughs> oh, gas mask on. That sounds delightful. It does. It is. Everything hurts. And what doesn't hurt doesn't work. So, 
Yeah. Um, what else have you got as far as uh, Potter's bullshit? Honestly, you hit Potter's bullshit really well. The only thing I can really add to this is I think it's important that we talk about like the postmortem. Yeah. Just to just to let's talk about like the damage that was done to this poor man. Um, Walton's trachea had been cut. There was bruising to his chest, several broken ribs. Walton also had defensive wounds, a cut on his left hand, bruises on the back of his right hand and forearm. Um, two weapons. Two weapons did the job. A stabbing weapon and a cutting weapon. And we're talking about, of course, his own pitchfork and slash hook. Um, hit over the head with his own walking stick. Three and, a, and that was found three and a half yards from his body with... This is this is the part this is the part that disturbs me the worst. Mm-hmm. Not the slash hook, not the pitchfork. On his walking stick, three and a half yards away, blood, bits of his body, and hair still stuck to it. Mm-hmm. That's that's some force. Yeah, yeah, that's the, some force. Yeah. Um of course, Potter immediately suggested suicide. No, I'm kidding about that. <laughs> I was like, I did not read that. I would have definitely written that down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I'm surprised he didn't. Yeah. Well, clearly this was, man killed himself. Was, Case closed. Let's was, go. Go have a pint. He was depressed because he found out I was paying him more. <laughs> and he was a proud man and did himself in with his own walking stick, pitchfork, and slash hook. Sad, really. <laughs> Well, moving on. <laughs> yeah. Cigarette? <laughs> <laughs> Say, it's cold. It's Ooh, cold, isn't it? Oh, I don't know why my uh, my 1945 British is like 1930 gangster. Because uh, I, I think I went there first. <laughs> yeah, I think you did. I really did. I can't do a British accent to save my life. I would never, never dare. Well, here's the thing. If I would do like the British accent... Go blimey, it's go outside. It's fancy fag. No, it's no, no. No one understood what I just said. <laughs> so it's just best to go. It's really cold outside. You want a cigarette? <laughs> this is now Potter in my head. Everything he says is mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah. Swinging around, swinging around the missing gold bolt watch. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Big clue, by the way. Yeah, yeah. That watch, um, it, it went missing. It was a tin watch. Uh, just a, a kind of a, a, a secondhand thing. Yeah, it wasn't even his. It was engraved, but not with his name. I, I was wondering if it was engraved with the name of the watchmaker. Well... It wasn't really clear, and that wasn't really something I was able to find out. See, that was... Whenever I was I was uh, going through this whole thing, you know, you whenever you go through this, you try to go, what is the most ridiculous thing south of suicide <laughs> that I can think of? And I could just kind of see in my head, like, Walton... You know, working hard, and he's taking a taking a pee, and he flips open the pocket watch, and some guy goes, "Oh, that's my dad's pocket watch. Give it." No, no, give it. <laughs> Dead. Even though, but that's ridiculous. Well, like you said, you think of the most ridiculous thing. Exactly. Mine went, mine went straight to that heifer stuck in the ditch. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, clearly we found our culprit. Yeah, this, this watch. <laughs> stuck in a ditch. I've never heard an alibi so weak. <laughs> Which actually, I should mention, that was actually one more thing. Oh, there's just too many stupid things that, uh, that Potter said, and you know, that were just outright lies. Um, 
the heifer that supposedly Potter, he went home uh, after he saw Walton uh, and then went to attend to the heifer. The heifer drowned in, get this, doomsday ditch. Of course. (laughs) Of course. On February 13th. And was not removed from the furs until 3.30 p.m. on February 14th. Almost three hours after supposedly Potter was taking care of the heifer. Um, So... There's a there's always there's a ton of time discrepancies because he keeps on changing his story too. You know, first it was that he went to attend the heifer, and then it was, oh no, I went over to help my neighbor with some some weird flower plant that I don't know about. Um, oh, which oh mangolds help him pulp pulp mangolds, and who was he helping pulp mangolds? We finally have a name. We finally have a, a, a Charles Happy. Bachelor. Oh, his his one of those nicknames, you know, that's that's in quotes, and you just gotta love those. Like when somebody gets a nickname with like that, because you you have to wonder if it's you know like the case where you call somebody the opposite, like me being slim. <laughs> I'm over three hundred pounds, <laughs> and or if it's because he really was a happy dude. So yeah, you, you have to wonder. But yes, his name was Charles Happy Bachelor, and. Bachelor then confirmed this. So you just have confusing stories left and right. You know, he says that um, Potter was... In, or, God, I keep on getting Potter and Walton mixed up. He says that Walton was in his shirt sleeves, which I take to mean he just had his, his shirt on, sleeves. He, he wasn't wearing a jacket. But when they found him, he was in a jacket. You know, it, it's just it's just nonstop confusion. Absolutely. Everything's... Everything's sideways with Potter so much so that whenever you look up the Wikipedia article they have a whole list of Potter's suspicious activities right there on Wikipedia. Yeah, nice bulleted list. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, it's, it's really hard it's really hard to see someone as innocent whenever they like even the Wikipedia article has the bulleted list of your goofy ass behavior. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's I mean, it could be skewed just because time and history, you know, have a way of, of deciding what the answer is and then everybody just goes with it. But we don't have anything else other than weird rumors about witchcraft or druidic rites, which yeah. the second one. All right. So there was a de- detective, a famous detective involved with this case, um, uh, Detective Fabian. By the way, if you haven't seen the TV show. Oh, I'll have to take a look at it. I didn't watch yeah, it yet. No. Yeah, okay. check out the TV show. Okay, so yeah, he was he's, he was well-known in England. All right, so he didn't say anything in his reports about witchcraft or shamanism or druidism or anything like that, druidic rites, whatever. He didn't say anything in his reports. But years later, he wrote a book, and in the book he said, one of my most memorable murder cases was at the village of Lower Quinton, near the stone druid circle of the Whispering Knights. Near my ass, that thing's 12 miles away. Yep, 12 miles away as the crow flies, 14 by road. Yeah, <laughs> I looked up there. near <laughs> my ass. There, a man had been killed by a reproduction of a druidical ceremony on St. Valentine's Eve, which was also... Bullshit. I don't believe a word this detective guy says anymore yeah. now because he's got all everything wrong. He's got the day wrong. He's, he's talking about uh, stones, which, granted, they're kind of creepy because apparently they're, the Whispering Knights are like a... Um, it's a Stonehenge type affair, but it's a it's a burial chamber. So yeah. The remains of a burial chamber, which is has a creepy vibe to it, yeah, you know. Yeah, but at the same time, he's talking about druidic rites. Yeah, 
we know next to nothing about the Druids. Yeah. How, what makes this guy, all of a sudden, like, king shit of Druid lore, <laughs> yeah. whenever even king shit, I don't know who king shit currently is of Druidic lore, but even king shit would go, no, I, I don't, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, who built Stonehenge? We know the Druids did. That's it. Done. We don't know yeah, what it's for. It. We think it may be a calendar. But honestly, if I throw five pebbles down the ground, they're going to line up with certain days of the year. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing of like Stonehenge. Stonehenge is a calendar. Well, maybe. 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 Yeah. So, yeah. Then Fabian proceeds to double down on the bullshit. Um, I advise anyone who is tempted at any time to venture into black magic, witchcraft, shamanism, call it what you will, to remember Charles Walton and to think of his death which was clearly the ghastly climax of a pagan rite. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? There is no stronger argument for keeping as far away as possible from the villains with their swords, incense, and mumbo-jumbo. Ghastly is... climax, by the way, is the name of my sex tape. <laughs> That's the name of my band. <laughs> uh, it is prudence on which your future peace of mind and even your life could depend. This guy... Not a single mention of witchcraft in any of his original reports. And years later, he's sensationalizing a murder that he worked on. And for his own personal gain. That's, that makes me really... I, I kind of I don't like this Fabian dude. I think this caused more problems than it solved. This wasn't an innocent little thing. Because now, all of a sudden, there are rumors. And there were already rumors of kind of witchcraft. Because... Mm -hmm. Walton did this weird thing with toads. He kept these little toads. No, these were Natterjack toads. Natterjack toads. Ooh, I like the name Natterjack. That has a great ring to it. You need to look up these Natterjack toads. Because they just kind of, like, they sound great, first off. And they, they kind of, they kind of, like, they don't hop very well, so they kind of trot whenever they walk. Oh. And, yeah. Some some people believe that Walton was a witch, uh, and that he could cast the evil eye and use the Natterjack toads to blight crops and stuff like that. Whenever I'm looking at this, why would somebody keep toads? <laughs> why first off, why wouldn't somebody keep toads? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's there's frogs in my guest room. Exactly, exactly. I'm not lying. She's not. <laughs> there She's literally not. are. Christy, it's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, Christy helps this gentleman take photos of frogs in interesting poses. Okay, you say interesting poses in a way that let's okay. let's just let him think that. Let's yeah, just let him think. Let that. it go. I'm not going to clarify. <laughs> yeah, let it go. Let it go. It's like hustler, but for frogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was that one picture. I don't even want to know. It's called Fifty Shades of Green. Oh, that, oh <laughs> fuck me. Hey, Beast and I came up with that name at the same time when we saw some of the props for the... We were at the same time. We both like looked at each other. We went, Fifty Shades of Green! <laughs> Beast, uh, by the way, is uh, Christy and my uh, friend who... her She kind of lives up to the nickname, Beast. <laughs> Uh, wonderful woman. Her wife, Lisa, wonderful woman, too. We can have two weeks in a row with a Brienne reference. She's sort of like the Brienne of Tarth of our friend group. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, Beast is Beast is kind of awesome. Beast she, is pretty oh, she, awesome. And she has the most infectious laugh you'll ever hear. She when she laughs, you are proud. You are proud that you made her laugh. I hope she, if she's listening to this and all yeah. of our other friends are listening to this, they're like, "Why the fuck are they only talking about Beast?" But they love Beast. Yeah, too. absolutely. <laughs> Beast is a Beast is the kind of person that would kick down the front door and go, "All right, I don't want to catch anybody not drinking." Yeah. <laughs> sounds absolutely. like something that Beast absolutely. would say. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. What were we talking about before? We were talking about the toads. The natterjack toads. Yeah, once you get me on frogs, it's, it's, it's a trip. <laughs> That's okay. So these little natterjack toads, this, I don't know why this isn't well known now, but it was pretty well known back then. At the end of the war, England was really suffering. Mm. Europe was really suffering for food. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it, tends to be the case in, in, in war, you know, that's one right. of the first things that, you know, you hit strategic targets, and some of those strategic targets are food storage. Right. If you get a chance, listen to some of the Batman and Superman radio plays of the era. They actually talk about getting food over to the Europeans in some of the radio plays. I was just listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about the origin of care packages um, being... Oh, goodness. It actually is an acronym, um, and them, them being sent over to, to your... But that's that's how it started. It's like... It's like I'm, I'm, I'm going to bungle it if I even try to, to recount what I heard, because um, I was half distracted when I was listening. But, but yeah, it's it's interesting um, how that, that started in, in World War II, uh, and it, because, yeah, there was a severe lack of, of yeah. food shortage everywhere. So why keep the natterjack totes? Not to blight crops. As a food source. They were eating them? Why not? I mean, we eat frogs' legs now. I mean, speak for yourself. <laughs> I don't. I don't eat frogs' legs. But it seems like, I mean, frogs' legs are, like, considered a delicacy, and delicacies tend to be, like, it's not something that fills, fills you up or gives you very much sustenance. Whenever you're hungry? I mean, I know you'll eat, like, yeah. anything. I've, I've eaten some bad stuff <laughs> when I'm really hungry. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> okay, I don't know where your brain went, but, well, but bring I, it back. <laughs> well, what I'm thinking was the possibility that you've eaten your own twin. Oh God, not that again. <laughs> yes. We're, you know, we're we going to talk about that. We managed Let's to talk about that. the person you murdered. <laughs> <laughs> your own flesh and blood. Why do I always get blamed? <laughs> <laughs> because it's extremely plausible that you ate your own twin. All right, I have two different colored eyebrows. My eyelashes are also different colored. There's a thing called chimerism where you might have um, absorbed a, a twin in the womb who, you know, after they deceased and absorbed some of their DNA. So that is some people's explanation for why I have funky eyebrows and eyelashes. You have a shirt that says, I ate my twin. I didn't buy it for myself. Amber <laughs> bought it for me. Although it was, it was funny the day I got a catalog for... Um, like my twin dolls mm -hmm. that I don't know marketing must have went real astray on that like for little girls to get a doll that looks exactly like themselves and Amber picked it picked it up and she was like oh new menu <laughs> it's like god damn it <laughs> we're so. just going to Amber's another friend of ours but this isn't the this is our friends podcast <laughs> yeah so um so yeah the, the 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 toads thing yeah maybe he was keeping them for sustenance and um you know, he was just, he, he, but he seemed like a, such a gentle guy. And you just have to wonder, like, really, seriously, what the hell happened? Was there an argument? Some people said an argument about debt. Some people said, you know, somebody might have been angry with him about witchcraft. Which, if the cross thing, the crucifix thing is true, 
supposedly the explanation for that would be um, the connection between crucifixes and witchcraft. Crucifices? Cruci- <laughs> if you say appendices. Crosses. Crosses. <laughs> I don't know. Because um, I think, uh, isn't a cross the symbol, but a crucifix has the image of Christ upon it. You know, it. I thought that, but everywhere I saw, I read it was crucifix, crucifix, crucifix. Huh. So, I don't know. Maybe just people are being inaccurate and I, I, I need to pay more attention. I'm not sure, but... Um, so, there were previous cases where people murdered somebody that they believed had put them under a spell. And when they murdered them, they would give this supposed witch the sign of the cross. And I don't know if it was meant to remove the spell or, you know, nullify everything or what, but that was that was part of the, it was sort of a ritualistic killing of people you thought you were a witch, you know, the same as, you know, there, there, there were all kinds of ritualistic things involving witchcraft and, and how to kill witches and, you know, vampires and all that fun stuff. Um, but, so that would be the explanation for that, that's the tie between the, the, the crucifix or cross and witchcraft. And so, you know, somebody thought that he, if somebody thought he was a witch and put a spell on them, then that's what they would do. Oh, and another thing I found, the pitchfork, somebody, I think it was on Reddit, said something about pitchforks being used historically to kill witches. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but when I looked up pitchforks and witches, I found a lot about witches riding pitchforks. So him having a pitchfork, I mean, granted, it's just a farm implement. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. everybody had one. I have, was... a, I have a broom in my house. Yes, exactly. You know, I have a broom in my kitchen. There you go. There you go. We're we're going to be like dead out in the street with crucifixes carved in our chest. Any, any second moment. now. Yeah. Any moment. Yeah. As soon as somebody comes along who, you know, that, that poor soul I put that spell on. Mm-hmm. So. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> hey, Steve. I need one. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the connection there. In case we weren't clear, that it, it seemed to be like a, 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 either a cleansing or a nullifying or something like that. But, and maybe, you know, like him having the crucifix, or not the crucifix, the pitchfork was just one more push into the, oh, witch, a witch, I say. Nah, that, that <laughs> pitchfork was meant to immobilize. I am well, I mean, 100% it wasn't, convinced. Well, yeah, I agree with you on that. Absolutely. Especially in the way in which it was used. Yeah. I think if you're using something in a ritualistic way, then you would use that as the stabbing implement. Right. Um, because it, it, it had sharp ends, you know, it was used for the sake of, you know, like dealing with these, these gnarly hedgerows. So, yeah, I don't think it makes sense for it to have been part, but, but that is, that, that seems to be the source of some of the rumors is the, the, the pitchfork, even though it was already there and the, the crucifix, even though that may or may not have even been on him. Yeah. Well, there was even rumors that he was, he was murdered by witches. Was, oh, yeah, there's that. To, he, so his blood would soak into the soil and replenish the fertility. Yeah. You can't, you can't tell. He, he was murdered because he was a witch. He was murdered in druidic rites because there were some rocks 12 miles away. He was murdered by witches. Or just because he and, you know, Potter got into an argument, yeah, maybe. Yeah. About probably maybe um, not getting, you know. The money. The money. Yeah. Money is a really driving factor. And if he's skimming off the top of his father, you can bet he's cheating Walton. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The the black dog angle. The black dog is weird. Yeah. There was I couldn't make I couldn't really make heads or tails of that. I can understand why people would find it fascinating, but it didn't seem to there wasn't any clear tie in because everything was so easily disproven, you know? Yeah, it's uh 
a couple of people, one in particular, claimed that soon after Walton's murder, a black dog was found hanging from the tree close to a murder scene. Another person claimed that he saw a black dog a few weeks before uh, Walton died that was being walked by a woman without a head. Um, the black dog, though, that... Even Fabian get, got in on this, and, and I think he said that he saw, like, a... If I'm remembering right, I didn't actually write this part down, that he saw a little boy, um, and then a moment later, like, the, the little boy came in the other direction, and then he turned around, and there was a black dog. It was something along those lines. It's not exactly like that, but the little boy was, like, pale. And there were there were stories about black dogs in the area, too. It's um, a legend that phantom hounds of the Celtic king Arwen hunt the hill at night. The king was the lord of departed spirits who would hunt to gather souls riding a pale horse and accompanied by a pack of white hounds with red ears. They can't even keep their superstitions straight. Absolutely. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the black shuck? No. No. There, and I'm curious now, because this is just kind of coming to mind. This is me off the cuff, not going to my notes or anything. There is a legend about the black shuck which is a giant dog. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, that one night burst through the church doors. Some accounts have him as just like a giant black dog. Other accounts have him as a giant black dog with one eye. Okay. Like center of the forehead, one red hellish eye. This dog supposedly bursts in through this church and kills a couple of them and then runs off into the night. Okay. Right? And everybody thought, well, it's just a legend. It's, you know, 500 years ago or what, however much time it is. The church was either renovated or demolished. And as they're digging, they find a giant dog Ooh. skeleton. And you can look up pictures of the black shuck skeleton. Holy shit. This is, this is recent. We're talking like last five years recent. Oh, wow. Where it went, oh, no, this legend of the Black Shuck, it may have been true. Hmm. It absolutely may have been true. So I'm kind of curious how far away the Black Shuck incident happened from from Quentin, which mm -hmm. is what a great name for a city, Quentin. It sounds like, you know, that's the name you give a balloon animal's fart. Oh, I left a little <laughs> Quentin now. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. Thank you. And then, of course, there's Lower Quentin and there's Upper Quentin. Well, yeah. an Upper Quentin is a burp. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Nice. So, so yeah, there were mysterious black dogs sighted in the area. Um, and then there was some random story that involved uh, a man named Charles Walton from, like, 18... 90 or something like that but it, it made no sense there were there were too many things to, to disprove right. it like it couldn't have possibly been him like he was a little boy mm -hmm. uh that found a woman named ann Tennant, who had been murdered in pretty much the exact same way walton was mm -hmm. so yeah and then but, there were rumors that ann Tennant and walton were related somehow yeah like the and there were there's six different possible family trees like on which they might connect and like theories about what the the relation might be it's weird as hell yeah and yeah. yet honestly potter yeah you have all these weird rumors that and and things that you can't keep straight like you know like are they related is she his great grandmother great aunt great cousin that's not even a thing. Um, you know, like, what is it? 
and there's black dogs and there's crucifixes and there's uh, pitchforks and druidic rites and witches be they him or other witches you just have all this stuff and yeah i understand murder because of greed or anger is much more prosaic than murder because of witchcraft yeah you know and it's it's and it's also it's it, it's suckier honestly to believe that this this gentle you know keeps to himself kind of man who was who who's kind enough to take in his niece uh, when her own father didn't want her it's it's nicer to believe that it wasn't just people being shitty but it was some sort of magic you know yeah. something or, or you know something like that but honestly I think it was people being shitty I, I do too I do too whenever you get right down to it and I don't think it was Fabian I think it was another member of Scotland Yard that said anytime that you find a dead body that hasn't naturally expired the motives behind it are going to be one of three things. And he called them the three L's. It's either going to be lust, loathing, or lucre. Yeah. So those are your three L's. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't think that he was part of some ritualistic sacrifice. Do I think that people maybe saw a black dog? Yeah. There's lots of black dogs. There is. I don't understand why this is a thing. This, yeah. There's black, black dogs. I've got a black cat sitting next right, to me. Right, right here. Hey, right squeaker here. baby. Oh. I have a black dog. <laughs> the evil one-eyed chihuahua. I should have named him Shuck. <laughs> I named my little one-eyed chihuahua Pebbles. I should have called him you know, Shuck. That would have been more appropriate. The missed opportunities. Maybe. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, it's... it's and I think <clears> that's right. I mean... It does sort of that that Scotland Yard detectives, uh, you know, like list of, of reasons does sort of miss sociopaths um, because I don't think there's any love, loathing, or, or lucre in some of those kinds of murders. I, I think sometimes it's just I don't know a lack of feeling and then trying to feel through the murder or something like that or just wanting to do it, you yeah. know, like not care, not having any feeling one way or the other about the the, the victim and not getting any money out of it, just like. No, I, I want to do this, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. And, you know, so I think it misses that aspect of, of humanity's just severe shittiness. I think, I think possibly if you go far, go far enough back in, in somebody's history, a serial killer's history, mm-hmm. you will find one of those three things. Yeah. Uh, for example, uh, Ted Bundy, you know, you go back to his childhood and you start to see like the fucked up shit that's going on. In his past, you know, so you can throw that with loathing in mm-hmm. there. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't think of a single serial killer that didn't have a fucked up past. Yeah. And, you know, we're not talking about, like, a, a serial killer here, and if it was one of the three L's, it was definitely a Luker. Absolutely. Um, I think that was, obviously, Potter was a greedy man, you know, skimmed off of his own father, so, yeah, I think I think the answer is it's right in front of us. And people in the town, they still don't talk about it to this day. No, they're they still, very yeah, tight-lipped about very it. Very much, yeah. And they'll tell you, they're like, they'll, they'll say, nobody will talk about it, and neither will I. You know, there, there was the, the BBC did, did a, a little article about it just a few years ago. We're talking decades upon decades. Yeah. And people are still like, nope, we don't talk about that here. And, yeah, the only thing that some people say is, well, I... Everybody knows who did it. Or, you know, I think I know who did it. Potter! <laughs> Excuse me. I sneezed. Potter! 
Oh, God, it must be contagious. It really is. <laughs> it really is. Oh, my God. It's, yeah, it's so obviously Potter. Yeah, and even, like, even Fabian thought that, although we, we know how I feel about Fabian at this point. Um, bullshitter. Yeah. Um, but he said, uh, you know, he, he, he basically, he liked Potter for it. But he, he said uh, his conclusion was there was, quote, no real evidence to connect him with the murder itself and no reasonable motive can be found for his committing it, unquote. Come on. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, but, but he found no evidence that Potter was violent, no evidence of any fights between him and Walton or any, like, differences. Um, he said that Potter was morose and sullen at his interviews, but he never lost his temper. temper. Um, and he said... Uh, People, you know, Potter might seem unkempt and on the surface dull-witted, but said that he believed, Fabian believed Potter to be, a, quote, a man of considerable strength and an extremely cunning individual. Hmm. The really, the really, the problem was just trying to figure out the timeline. Um, and honestly, you know, as far as where Potter was in relation to when uh, Walton was murdered, and they could not pin it down. And actually, his his constant prevarications or changing of his story regarding his whereabouts and his alibi might actually have uh, saved him from, you know, the, the, the hangman's noose or whatever they were doing at the time. Uh, because that, that was the reason that, you know, everything got confused. Yeah, my dad used to say, if you can't dazzle them with intelligence, befuddle them with bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you're giving 17 different stories... You're essentially, yeah, it's kind of a genius move if you really think about it because you're stretching their resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they, they sent three detectives out there, and then you said they had the planes. Mm-hmm. They had that one of the detectives had, had to speak Italian so he could, you know, interpret the, the POWs. Yeah, lots of, uh, lots of stuff there, lots of, lots, of, lots of bullshit left and right, and I, yeah, I, I think it did actually completely, I hate to keep using this phrase on this podcast, but I'm gonna, uh, muddy the waters. Yeah. And, uh... So a little Holmesian of him, actually. Absolutely. And you know, I really, I really think he did it. And there's, there's no reason for his story to change so much. There's no reason for for his bullshit. There's no reason for the hysterical glee with which they they, they you know, greeted the news that a POW had, you know, was was suspected of the murder. There's just no reason for any of it. It's 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 Potter through and through. I wish it wasn't something so obvious. Yeah. Um, it would be a, a little bit more fun, but at the same time. Uh, it's murder. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not that fun. <laughs> I, I think without Fabian, we wouldn't even be calling this the witchcraft murders. Yeah, really, it was it was Fabian's involvement and keeping it in the in the press yeah. through mentioning it, like in his book, and probably talking about it in in different uh, in different venues that kept this alive and kept and, and it really in the public consciousness attached that witchcraft aspect to it. Because prior to that, I think that was only like a town thing, and they didn't talk about it that much. So you know, you weren't going to get it out of the townspeople. So yeah, I think it was. I think Fabian has a lot to do with the. He basically did the branding for this. Yeah, he was right. he was the branding branding expert. Absolutely, it's. I'd be curious to see. I don't want anybody to die or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I'd be curious to see. I mean, yeah. Of course. <laughs> maybe a couple people, but nothing that I'm going to put into action. Um, but I'd be curious to see what would happen. In a situation with a small town, just down the road from us, there's a little small town called Vinco. Yeah, yeah. That really felt very Quentin. 
Yeah, yeah, it has a Quentin feel. Yeah. Yeah, it has a Quentin feel. I'd be curious to see... I kind of lived there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. I'd be curious to see, in a modern era, how tight-lipped or how open-mouthed somebody would be about a murder that happened in Vinco. Because, quite honestly, most of the people around here cannot shut up. Oh, no, 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 no. We, Northeasterners tend to have this, this reputation for a sort of reticence. You know, we're not... Um, we're not, I don't want to say overly friendly because it's not, it's, it's just a matter of, of attitude. We're not super friendly like people are in the South, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then I'm not going to go through the different regions, you know, offending people left and right. Uh, I'm just going to stop But here. I will. <laughs> All you West Virginianers are inbred. <laughs> stop it. Just, Arkansas, I'm looking at you. You're a close second. Just cutting off. Mississippi, learned, any, sorry. <laughs> So, so yeah, we have this reputation for reticence, but you go to one of these small towns, and yeah, it may take you a while to get people to open up, but what did you do? We, yeah, you're right, we do not shut up. And no. I say that as a person who is known for not shutting up. Um, and we, we like to talk about the local stuff, you know? Um, hell, I worked at the, the, the bar in Vinco. It's not no longer there, but um, I worked there, and you could not get those old men to shut up and stop telling you the same damn stories over and over and over again. You know what? I don't want to hear about the yeah. Great Banana War one more time, dude. <laughs> there is a little oh, town. Sorry, that guy's name was JC, as in Jesus Christ, because he supposedly looked like Jesus. Come on. Well, <laughs> there is a little town close to us called Kecksburg. In 1965, I believe, a UFO crashes oh, in Kecksburg. That's why I know that name. That's why <clears throat> right, I know that name. Right, If you go to Kecksburg, there's about 150, 200 people in this little town. Mm-hmm. The And they have like the prop of the UFO yeah. still out front. The Unsolved Mysteries used, because Unsolved Mysteries built this big UFO prop, and they went, we don't want to take it back. Do you guys want it? Yeah, yeah, we want it. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's like on a pedestal out front of their fire department. Oh, yeah. So... Their fire department is also the UFO store, is also <laughs> the bar, right? That's, now that's a small mm, town. Mm, it is a small town. All you have to do, we'll have to do this one night, Christy. We'll drive to Kecksburg. Yes. And do it whenever they even have like a, a yearly UFO festival there. Of course. Of course they do. Do it sometime that like the UFO festival is like a couple months away or a couple months past. Mm-hmm. Sit down at the very front of the bar. Get as much to the middle as you can. And just go, <clears throat> so who was, who was here that night? <laughs> Make sure there's some old timers around. Oh, absolutely. Because you can watch the bar now split right down the middle of people who were there and believe believe that it was just a meteorite that crashed mm-hmm. and people that were there and says it was a UFO. <laughs> it was it was fantastic. The first time I did it, I just did it by accident. I went, was anybody here that night? And instantly it was like I went down in the woods, I was about thirteen or fourteen and uh, I saw this big bright flashing light and Roman neck, you're a goddamn liar <laughs> What the fuck do you know, Jenkins? I know that you're fucking lying. 
<laughs> I love it. You were. Can we record all of it? For I, I, I would love to. <laughs> the actual conversation, I'm, I'm, as far as my memory goes, is exactly as I'm saying at this point. That's beautiful. And it was it was a thing where like the guy goes, the guy goes, the military was here, Jenkins. <laughs> He goes, well, yeah, the military was here. We're in the middle of the woods. <laughs> and there was one guy, one guy that was there. He goes, yeah, I was eight years old whenever they were here. I, Did you see it? And he goes, I saw it straight across the sky. But me and my buddies were riding bikes trying to find a way down there. And he goes, this, uh, this Jeep pulled up. And there was a bunch of generals in the Jeep. And they pulled over and they went, son, do you love your country? <laughs> and they went, y- yes, sir, we love our country. And he goes, Anybody comes looking for it, you send them in the wrong direction. And he said all night, like, people were, like, they just sat by the road and people were asking for directions and they were sending them all over the place because it literally is like a spider web of roads back there. You can have a road map and still get lost going to Kecksburg. Oh, yeah, I know those. I know those kind of towns. Yeah. I've gotten lost many times in those kind of towns. But the point is, whether they believe it or not, they love to talk about. Oh yeah, sure. It it defines their town. You yeah. know, it's it, it, it's it's the big thing in their town. You know, we here in Johnstown, we still you know like I don't know, I don't know how much people talk about it. I'm kind of obsessed with the flood. You know, like I wrote a whole short story. Yeah. Got published. <laughs> you know, so like because it's the big thing. You know, each ten. Um, I think the the big thing in my hometown was probably aside from. The guy who escaped from the state hospital, and of course there were weird urban legends associated mm-hmm. with the state hospital. It was always the same stories that somebody's mother's aunt's cousin, whatever roommate you know who worked there said happened. Um, but probably was uh, a guy walked into the courtroom and, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, this is how rumors get started, uh, <laughs> shot the judge, or was in trial was like was being on was on trial and shot the judge. That sounds plausible. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's that's a pretty simple one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's I mean that's it. I mean we've got we've got hunting and fishing and all kinds of you know like you fun woodsy activities and all of a sudden I'm southern I don't know. Yeah. Um, but we've got all that stuff, but we don't have um, very much in the way of claims to fame, you know. But a UFO? Yeah. Yeah. This is this. Not a lot has happened in Lower Quinton. And maybe it's a British thing, or maybe it's just a Lower Quinton thing. I would, I'm kind of wondering how much, how much employment and how much power Potter had. Well, the thing is, is that he had two other people working for him, and unfortunately I didn't write down who they were. I think one of them was um, Beasley, but I'm not 100% on that. But he had two other people working John for him. John Beasley? Like Ron Weasley? <laughs> I think it was Harry Beasley, actually. Uh, pretty sure. And so he had, and, and they quit uh, pretty soon after. Like Fabian noted this in a future report. They, they quit pretty soon after this whole thing. So there's, there's, a, there's a question there to be, that, that will never get answered. Um, and then the watch was eventually found again. It was in, a, it was in an outhouse, wasn't it? Yeah, on um, Charles Walton's, Walton's property, or the, on the property of the cottage he yeah. lived in. Yeah, so somebody saw something uh, shining on the on the ground and picked it up, found an old tin pocket watch. Um, they opened the watch case, found a small piece of colored glass. Walton, they said, always carried this around with him, never let it go. 
And people said, supposedly the consensus among the villagers was that it was witch glass uh, used to either reflect or absorb. So, who knows? Stop putting ores in yeah. your legends. Yeah. Um, any evil thoughts that had been directed at its owner. So it was strange that it was found there when it was something that he always kept on his person. Yeah, yeah. Although I have, I have an object that I usually keep on me. Um, and right now it's lost. Oh. I don't know where it is. I mean, I guess, yeah, it does happen. You yeah. Know, like, people lose, like, wedding rings and stuff like that. Yeah. It happens. I have a big, no big surprise to any of my friends, but I'll share this with the listeners. I have a bevy of mental problems. I have attention deficit disorder. I have um, social anxiety. I hide it really well. I, I go through about five to eight panic attacks a day. Mm-hmm. And I have post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I use, I have a little piece of velour that I keep in my pocket. I didn't even realize I was doing it. It's just something that I use to calm me down, right? Just something to rub, keep me focused whenever I'm having flashbacks and what have you. Mm-hmm. I, whenever I started seeing a psychologist, she goes, she goes, well, this is whenever they start giving names to all these problems that I have whenever I see the psychologist. She goes, you should consider a totem. And I want, you mean like one of those little spinny tops from, uh, from, from the uh, Inception movie? She goes, well, it can be, but it's, she goes, a lot of my, a lot of my patients that have PTSD, they keep a smooth stone mm-hmm. or something that they can just kind of rub against to keep them focused. And I went, oh, yeah, I already do that. Never mind. Just this little piece of allure, and every once in a while I trade it out for a different piece of allure, just something to kind of keep focused on. I don't know where it is right now, Mm. you know. So the last couple of days, like, just I've been kind of freaking out a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'll make it through, and eventually I'll find it. I've been rubbing a lot of cats. That is helpful, (laughs) It really is. Yeah, I think that part of therapy that you said where you're... you're your your problems get names. Yeah, that's an amazing part of therapy. Like, I actually, I, this wasn't therapy. I read this on my own, but but it's a similar thing. But when I first read the term um, catastrophizing, which for some reason I did not in my head pronounce like cat, like catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Catastrophe. I know. I just did it. I just did it wrong. It's catastrophizing. Okay. And for some reason, I go catastrophizing. I pronounce it wrong. Anyhow, that's okay. But, but that's what you do sometimes. Yeah. You read a word and yeah. you just don't. You not you don't pronounce it correctly in your head. Um. I read that and I was like, it was basically like that switch clicked. I was like, oh, that's that thing I do all the time. I, and when you have a name for yeah. things, you can you can work on them. You can battle it because you can recognize yeah. it. You can't you can't battle something that you can't see or name. Not only that, it's kind of a thing where where whenever you're going through that shit, you kind of think you're the only person going through that shit. Yeah, but having a name makes you realize that this must be common enough that exactly. somebody had to actually say, okay, what are we going to call this? Exactly. You know that thing where you're sitting around going like, I wonder if Batman likes chicken noodle soup, and then your brain goes, you're dying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that oh, thing. you mean other pe- that happens to other people too. Okay, how do they deal with it? And it's a strength in numbers type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's because, it's you know, the aloneness is one of the biggest things. So, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so Potter did it. Potter did it. <laughs> Potter did Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> Potter did it. And I hope that he had, if he did do it, I hope he had many, many panic attacks for the rest of his life. Yes. <laughs> Nightmares, sleep paralysis, much 
catastrophizing. Yes. Yay! Yes. The works. The the person that I really feel sorry for, I believe her name was Edith. Yeah, niece. Edith. And some places she's called Edie, but I mostly yeah. saw Edith. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel sorry for Edith. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, abandoned by her own father and then in her, you know, her 30s and she seems seems like she was fairly happy and attached to her uncle and everything and to lose him and then you don't really see very much of what happened to her afterwards. You she don't. she did have a, a a job at a I think a printing press nearby, but that was war related. So, you know, when the men came home, she probably wouldn't have had a job. Yeah. So, who knows, you know? Like we don't we don't know what, what how she turned out or what happened. Edith, if you're listening, we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Or yeah. if you're Edith's daughter or son. Yeah. Yeah, we would love to hear from you. I hope I hope that you or your your ancestor had a long happy life. I hope this was the I hope this was the worst thing that happened to her mm-hmm. and that she from there on out she was happy. I I really do because mm-hmm. I felt so bad for that. That's all you can hope for 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 somebody who's, you know, like so close to somebody who had such a brutal, cruel, vicious end. You know, you have to hope that they they someday, you know, found peace and happiness and and were able to to live with it and and honor the memory of, of the person they lost. And interestingly, we, you know, we could potentially have looked at census records, except uh, I found out that England or the UK, I'm sorry, English listeners, British listeners, UK listeners, I can't keep straight what you are. <laughs> You've got to admit, it's confusing. What the but, fuck is Welsh? <laughs> right? They, um, they seal their census records for 100 years. So the most recent we can get our hands on is 1911. So not until, they do it every, it seems like, you know, on the 11th mm-hmm. year. So uh, 2021 will be the next time they'll unseal some records, and that'll only be 1921. So, so you couldn't even, like, look at old census records from the area and see if you could find her because they're yeah. sealed. I don't know why they seal them. It seems like kind of like, again, the opposite of it's, what we're I mean, trying to do with the census. talking about people that enjoy warm beer and watered-down sausage that explodes when you cook them. <laughs> Bye, English listeners, British listeners, UK listeners. <laughs> it was nice having you. Doodles. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed our little story about your murder. <laughs> pip, pip, Tyrio. <laughs> That's right. Tyrio. <laughs> I did that on purpose. Like, right now, somebody just went, I don't like them. Ooh, I'll never watch again. And then they said Tyrio. <laughs> you went like Italian, German, French on that? Pretty much so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't claim to be any of those things except for the French part. <laughs> Fucking cheese eating surrender monkeys. Uh, not, 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 I can not true. say that. Not I can true, say that. But I'm also French. not true. <laughs> they had so many wars that they were victors in. Are you in. saying French don't like cheese? That's racist, Christy. The French love cheese, and they have excellent <laughs> cheese. I will be eating it in a few months. So, um, even though I think I'm lactose intolerant, so that's going to suck. Are you heading to France? Yeah, yeah. What part of France are you heading to? Uh, we're going to go to Paris. Uh, we, we're going to head probably somewhere in Burgundy. We haven't really settled um, on where exactly. Um, Lyon. Marseille, and then somewhere else, um, maybe Nice or Antibes, somewhere else in the Riviera. Are you hitting the catacombs? Probably not, because Ooh. we're only in Paris for a couple of days. And... Missed opportunity. Oh, but there's so many other things. I need to go to the Musée d'Orsay. I missed that last time because of my own screwed up travel plan. <laughs> you, can t- you can take an hour and walk through the catacombs. I have Man, that's the first place I'd go. I know, I know. Eiffel Tower. I know, but I've, heard, I've also heard overrated and so crowded, and that and also Jack. My cut out the part where I almost said my husband's name. Um, <laughs> my husband gets. It's uh, Jacqueline. <laughs> for anyone who's curious, 
Her husband's name is Jacqueline. Yeah, unconventional parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so my husband gets claustrophobic, and I do sometimes too. It really depends on the situation. So I, I'm, I don't know if that would be. I mean, I, I'm even planning on. I, I keep on getting laughed at for this, but I'm even planning on instead of doing the the elevator up the Eiffel Tower, taking the stairs. No, I think I think taking the stairs is kind of awesome. Yeah, quite it, honestly, you don't have as much of a line. It's cheaper, and it's it's. I mean, it, it, we've done this before where we we did a stair thing actually in London. And uh, we got halfway up, and my husband, we're, we're like, <sighs> my husband's like, take the stairs, she said. It'll be fun, she said. And I'm like, yeah, well, we got a certificate that says we did this. Yeah, that's worth it right there. Uh, all these years down the road, I have no idea what that certificate is seven years later. The closest thing I have to that is a t-shirt that says, I walk the turkey path. Hey, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Don't, for, don't you denigrate the turkey path. For those that don't know, Pennsylvania has its own Grand Canyon. And the path to get down to the bottom of the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon is called the Turkey Path. So, yes, I have a t-shirt. I don't think I could do the Turkey Path again. You're risking your goddamn life. <laughs> it's, it's, there are parts of the path where the path's probably about 18 inches wide. Probably, probably at an incline, 60 degree mm-hmm. incline on this. So, about like... I'm, that's rough. Yeah, about a 60-degree incline. Just get your protractors out, ladies and gentlemen. And then there are rocks that jut out from the side. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of places on that where there's a fall of about 25 feet, but you kind of have to hug this rock to get past. So, yeah, the turkey path ain't nothing to fuck with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, don't you denigrate that. You did that. Damn straight. <laughs> Do you have any idea of what uh, next week's show is going to be about? Um, No idea yet. Uh, I think let's wrap this one up. We'll look at the list. We won't give any hints, so we'll keep them oh. in suspense. <laughs> See, I think I think we should start maybe giving little clues. Yeah, we so, could do that. Yeah, maybe, maybe that. in episode three. Yeah, yeah, we'll start we'll start actually planning ahead. <laughs> Imagine that. I have been Scott. I have been Christy. Oh, we didn't introduce ourselves at the beginning. <laughs> That's why you listened to episode one. Yeah. <laughs> Don't start with two. What are you doing starting with two? Jesus Christ, working God, your way backwards. People. Do you like, not know how to listen to podcasts? It's podcast dyslexia. <laughs> this has been Old Timey Crimey and Put the Pitchfork Down. Oh. <laughs> I Was didn't do it. Sad end. <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> It was okay, obviously Potter. the Italians. Whatever you say, Potter. <laughs> no, it was the heifer. The heifer did it. <laughs> the heifer did it. <laughs> <laughs>